Thank you, Lee. Well, I'm Mark Barnes. I am one of four guys on the preaching team. And actually, today is a milestone for us. It was one year ago today, the first Sunday of Advent, that we started preaching. I didn't think this would be the part I'd get emotionally. And I just want to, on behalf of the team, thank you for your grace, your love, and your encouragement to us. It's been joy to serve in this way, and it's because you have made it a joy for us. So, I, my prayer is that you would keep storing all of this up so that when we get a new pastor, you would continue all that you're doing for us. So if you would, just pray with me. Let's ask God to be our instructor today. Father, we come together, we come to worship you first and foremost in this place today. And now we gather around your word and we ask that you would speak your truth into us. Father, use me as your mouthpiece, but help me not to get in your way. We pray your word would speak in transforming ways. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the first Sunday of Advent. How did we get here already? Anybody, anybody else feeling like that? Like, how did we get here? And here's one of the great things about Advent. It gets your attention. I hope it does. I hope it's one of these moments where you're like, wait a minute. Let's pause for a second. Let's pay attention. Because if we don't, we will find ourselves in January, February, and here we are in summer again. Life goes by quickly. And Advent is one of those things that causes us to prepare, to pause, to notice. And we're... we're Looking at the word hope today, that is the theme for the first Sunday of Advent. I love the themes. These are traditional themes of of hope, love, joy, and peace. What wonderful words, but but here's the warning I want to give you. They can become just kind of words that we use this time of year. We get numb to them, right? We take them out of the Christmas box. You take them down. You go, oh, hope, love, joy, peace. Ah, it feels good to have them up again, doesn't it? But that's not what we want. We want to grapple with what these words truly mean. Why are these words important when it comes to Advent? My oldest son, when he was, I think, in second grade, came home from school one day and he said, Dad, I'm in love with a girl at school. (laughs) Any of you have those kids? Like, and I chuckled and I said, I know you feel something, but I don't think you even know what love is. And years would go by, and there would be several girls, and he would go, no, 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 Dad, this time, for real, 
for real. I'm in love with this girl. And I would laugh and I'd say, you might be understanding it a little bit more, but I don't think you know what love is. High school, there was a girl and he said, Dad, I think I love this girl. But based upon history, I know I probably don't know what love is. And then there was a time he said, Dad, I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. Mm. And he said, I think I know what love is. But based upon what I've learned so far, I still have a long ways to go to truly understand what love is. That's my hope. As we go through Advent this year, we don't gather today and we talk about hope and you all go, oh, got it. No, I'm hoping that every year as we gather around the Word of God today, more and more, God will be helping us to understand what His hope and love and joy and peace really is. I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer this morning, but if I asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at with hope this morning? I don't want to ask because I know that for some of you, you might answer like this. Man, 9 or 10. 9 or 10. Like, man, we had a great Thanksgiving. The kids were all in town. We just sang and had fun, played games and ate. Everything went perfect. Oh, and before that, I got a four-day weekend this weekend. And before that, the boss said, oh, by the way, we're going to hand out bonuses this year. I, I thought I might have a health issue, but I just got a call from my doctor, and he says, nope, you're good. And so maybe you come to this place today, and you go, man, I am oozing with hope. Life is good. But I know there's a large chunk of you that would say, I have hope. I wish I had more hope. But life's hard. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, in my family, in our country, in our church, right? We don't have a pastor. There's uncertainty, and I'm, I, I want to hope. I think I have some hope, but it's hard some days. It's hard a lot of days. And there might be some of you that, if you were honest this morning, you'd say, Mark, I'm struggling. feels like I've lost hope. And if you could unpack it, you might say things like, Finances are really tight for us. Relationships are a bit rocky right now. Maybe in the marriage or between my, our kids and us or our kids and you, 
Maybe you don't have relationship and you desire that relationship with somebody and you go, "Ah, I've desired this for so long. If I'm honest, I'm losing hope. Let me say wherever you're at this morning, in regards to hope, you are in the right place. God has brought you here for a purpose this morning. Not because of what I'm going to say, but because of what his word shares with us. And I believe we all need to hear this. If you're really feeling hopeful this morning, we know life gets hard. And if you're struggling to find hope this morning, let's come to the word and see what it says. And let me, let me, whoa, there's my, my pad just blanked on me. Let me just say this. It's okay to ask questions. I love that Stuart preached last Sunday from Matthew 11. John the Baptist. This John the Baptist that we're looking at today. And in Matthew 11, John is in prison and he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus. And they come with this question. Are you the one? Are you the promised one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? And Stuart said, it's okay to ask questions. John was confused. He didn't get it because he was the one that baptized Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He heard the Father's voice say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He saw the Holy Spirit Descend like a dove on Jesus. Are you the one? Why would he ask that? Because you know what? The circumstances of life didn't make sense. Something was not right. I'm confused. I know you're the one, but I'm in prison. I thought you would be the Messiah that came to conquer. What's going on, Jesus? Are you the one? And so I say this morning, it's okay to come, and if you're struggling with hope this morning, ask God the questions. Let's gather around his word to look at at what he is offering us. So here we are. We're not in Matthew anymore. We've spent a year in Matthew, and we're going to step out of Matthew. We're stepping into Luke to go through Advent. And here in this first chapter of Luke, we are introduced, as Seth said, to this old couple. Luckily, they're not as old as I am. Just older than Bonnie and Stuart. <laughs> this old couple, and here's how Luke describes them. He says that they were both righteous and blameless in all the commands and statutes of God. How would you like at the end of your life, for your funeral, to people, for people to describe you as being righteous and blameless in all the statutes and commands of God. Wow. And yet Luke goes on to say, but they had no children. They had a double problem. Elizabeth couldn't conceive, and now they're old. They had no children. And here's the question. 
There's confusion. Something doesn't add up. They are righteous. They are blameless. And they have no children. For these people in this culture at this time, and I would say very much for us as well, people would look at their situation and say, huh, why is God withholding his blessing on this couple? They seem righteous. They seem to pursue God. Zechariah is a priest. But something's not right. And it makes me think of the time when Jesus is walking with his disciples. We see it in John 9. And they come upon a man who is blind from birth. And the disciples really voice what, what could be thought of going on here. They ask Jesus, uh, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Because see, this man is blind. He's been born blind. And we kind of figure that there's a reason for that. Why has God done this to this man? And I love Jesus' answer. He said, not this man or his parents. This man was, <coughs> excuse me, this man was born this way so that God's works might be displayed in him. Think of that. This man was created this way for purpose, so that God's works could be displayed in him right here, right now. The Messiah is here, and I'm about to restore his sight. That's why. And I think about Zachariah and Elizabeth and the thoughts and questions of their community, their town would probably be, oh, they're such a nice couple, such a godly couple. I wonder why God has withheld his blessing from them. Well, today, through this passage that we've read, we're going to look at the theme of hope because I think hope is put on display here. And I think we need to define hope. What do we mean when we talk about hope in the Bible? Because we use hope in this way. I hope we have a white Christmas. The kids were asked about that gift, right? That present. Ooh, I hope I get that. Or maybe it's something a little more serious and we say, I hope I find a job soon. Finances are getting tight. I hope I find a job soon. Or it might even be godly. I hope my children follow Jesus all of their lives. But all those things we tend to hope for something. We hope for something. And if, we, if we're honest... We can, even in the godly things, hope can be a form of wishing. Hoping that through good fortune and our abilities, the right things will happen. Now think about that. When we hope for something, often deep down in us, it's this wishing that this will happen. 
That's hoping for. But biblical hope, I believe, is something much more. It's been talked about this morning. It's hope in, not hope for. It's hope in something or someone. Paul says in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This word hope that he uses, I think, is the the core of how hope is used in the Bible. The Greek word means this, looking forward to something with some reason for confidence. That doesn't sound like wishing. Biblical hope says you are looking towards something and there's confidence. Why? Well, because we're not hoping for something to happen. We're hoping in. We're hoping in God. And we say, because God and his promises bring hope that can give us confidence. Here in this passage in the first chapter of Luke, I think we see potentially both kinds of hope. I say that because I think we tend to experience those as followers of Jesus. We experience both those kinds of hope. Hoping for and hoping in. And I want you to think about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. Okay, here they are. They get married. Celebration, right? All right. And I'm pretty sure they were hoping four children. Maybe in particular a son who would carry on the family lineage, right? But they were hoping for, and, and I'm reading into this, but I go, that's, that's, how, we, that's how we think. It, it's almost an expectation. We're going to get married, and then somewhere down the road, we're going to have children. We're hoping for children. But as time passes on, and no child is given to them, they get to a fork in the road where suddenly that hope for, you've got to make a decision here. And here's what I see a lot, and it's in us. It's that part of us that that rebels, that is our sin nature that wars against what God desires, and we, we're selfish. We want what we desire. And so we come to this fork in the road, and we go, okay, I'm losing hope. And it can make us do one of two things. First, it might make us turn away from God. Okay, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I've been praying and asking you for some time for this. You know how important this is to me. God, where are you? Are you a God that doesn't care? Are you a God that doesn't hear? Are you a God that can't do that? Or are you punishing me for something? And I've seen a number of people say, if this is who God is, I I don't want anything to do with him. Or maybe you're going to take another path sidetrack down that road where you say, all right, God, let's bargain. 
God, if you will do this for me, I will do this. I know, I'm, I should be more regular going to church on Sunday morning. Okay, listen, I will go every Sunday. Except Super Bowl Sunday. No, I will go every Sunday if you will just do this for me. I will give more money. I will read my Bible. I will be kinder to my family. I will, whatever it is, and we try to bargain with God. If you will do this, God, if you will heal this person, if you will give us a child, if you will give me a new job, if you will uh, reconcile me with my kids, if, if you will do this, I will do that. That's not hope. That's still hoping for something to happen. And whatever it takes for us to do, we will try to bargain with God to get him to do it. And if you find that's where your hope lies, it will disappoint every time. And what you will find is, it will take you on a road that leads you away from God. And I think of Zachariah and Elizabeth here as they start down this road and as years start to accumulate and you start to realize we might not have children. But here's where I say I see hope in God. Because in the description of who they are, they are righteous and blameless people pursuing God despite not having children. Their hope, and I think, changes from this expectation or a wish to, oh. And this can seem bad, like, God, why aren't you doing this? I go, this is a good thing, because what it does is it shines a light on the fact that so often we find hope in ourselves. We think some way, somehow, I can make this happen. When, when the Lord's Prayer, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, so often we don't really think about praying that. Why? I've got money. The grocery store is right down the street. There's a Taco Bell around the corner. I don't need to ask God for my daily bread. I can do it. And when we get to a point where we realize that we can't, the reality is nothing is in our control. Even our next breath is not in our control. It'll either turn us away from God or, like we see here with, with Zachariah and Elizabeth, it turns us towards God. Okay, God, like this we thought would happen a long time ago. But obviously it hasn't. And so we're going to come to you and we're going to ask you and we're going to pray. And God desires that. He goes, come on, come into my presence. Tell me what's on your heart. I want to show you what's on my heart. Come on, my children, come. Here we are, Zechariah, priest. And he is chosen by Lot to enter into the temple and to burn incense. This, uh, if you were in class last week, Bonnie was talking about it. And, and she said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, event for a priest. There are tens of thousands of priests. His division is on duty, and they draw lots. It's a lottery. And they go, Zechariah, 
You've been chosen today. They do it twice, morning and evening. They, they take the ashes from the altar. They take it into the, the holy place. This is not the holy of holies. This is the holy place. There's an altar where they put the ashes, and then they put um, uh, incense on top of that. It stands right before the holy of holies, the most holy place where God resides among them. The curtain that is torn when Jesus is crucified is right there. And this is Zachariah's turn. He is chosen to go and take that in. He does it alone. He puts the ash down. He puts the incense on it. And the, as the incense rise, it's, it's their prayers rising up to God. And you see that the assembly, the rest of the people are outside praying. And while all of this is happening, Zechariah looks up and he's not alone. You ever walk into a place thinking you're all alone and suddenly something moves? or Heart attack, right? And there on the right side of the altar is an angel of the Lord, Gabriel. I was told at Moody, like every angel, angel 101 school, like, okay, when you pop in on humans, first thing you say is, don't, don't be afraid. <laughs> you see it all the time, it's true. Because this is so unexpected. And here's Gabriel. And, and in our ESV, it's, it says, and Zechariah was troubled. <laughs> no, no. I like the CSB version. He was terrified. And here's Gabriel. He says, fear not. Your prayer has been heard. Now think about this. It struck me. He didn't say your prayers have been heard. He wasn't talking about the prayers being lifted up by Zechariah right now or the people gathered around. He wasn't talking about even the daily prayers that, that Zechariah would have been praying. He said your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Oh, Zechariah knew what prayer, right? And as I say that, I'm pretty sure all of you, if I said your prayer, you would go, oh, I know what prayer. There's that thing that's, that's core to your life. It may change throughout your life, but there's that central thing that is so important to you. It's, it's, it consumes you because it's so important and you desire it so much and you've prayed about it maybe for so long and here think about what Gabriel says your prayer has been heard in that phrase I think Zechariah realizes all these years of waiting and praying God heard God knew Sometimes we go, God, where are you? Don't you hear? Don't you care? Can't you do anything? And hearing Gabriel is going, oh, God's heard. God knows. God cares. And God has a plan. And you're a part of it. He says, your prayer has been heard, and you... Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and he's not going to be any ordinary son. 
Listen as I read this passage from, from today's verses 13 to 17. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember last week Jesus saying that is John, that's who he is? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Think as Zechariah is hearing this description of not only am I going to have a son, this is who he is. And, and I think the same thing that we heard Jesus say about the blind man could be said right here. Why didn't they have children? So that God's work could be put on display in them. Think about this. Last year for Advent, I kind of walked us through some of the history. We turned the page from Malachi, Old Testament, to Matthew, New Testament, and we go, oh, one page. But there's 400 years in between those pages. God had gone silent for 400 years. His people had not heard. There was no prophet saying, thus say the Lord. They had their scriptures. And we see a couple here who were faithfully following God. But God had been silent 400 years. Well before our country was established, right? 400 years of nothing. And now, this is such a wonderful thing. John. John is going to be the mouthpiece of God. He's going to be that prophet. God is going to break through the silence and say, I am here. And now is the time for the Messiah, my son, to come. The promised one that has been promised throughout the Old Testament. It's here. Many will rejoice over this. And John is going to turn many of the hearts towards God. The fathers towards their children. He is going to make way, a path for the the Messiah. And I like Zachariah's answer. Well, I like that he's honest. And he says, okay, I want to believe this. But I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. he, He carefully steps around that. I'm an old man and my wife, well, she's along in years, right? But he's saying, I want to believe this, but don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up only to be crushed. How will I know? How will I know? Because this doesn't seem to make sense. And Gabriel points us back to where this confident hope comes from. I love his answer. This is my favorite part of this whole passage. He says, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) I stand in the presence of God. Right? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. 
Let me tell you, since the time I was created, since I stood in his presence, everything he says, everything he declares happens. Right? I didn't come to say, hey, I've got potentially some good news for you. Hopefully this will happen. I think it will. There's a good chance this will happen. No, he says, I have come to give you this news. Why? I'm Gabriel. God sent me. He told me this was going to happen. There is no doubt. That's hope with confidence. Now we have to be careful. Sometimes we connect our hope to God's promises, right? God promises. No, let's be careful. God promises many things. But he says, put your hope in me. He promises that we are chosen. We have been adopted. That Christ's blood redeems us and sanctifies us. That we can be made right before him. That his Holy Spirit will indwell us and empower us, allow us to follow Christ in ways that we could never do. Those are promises that we can put our hope in. Put our hope in Jesus Christ. But Gabriel says, just just so you know, you want to know, I'm going to make it so, as Seth said, I'm going to close your mouth. I'm going to make it so you can't speak until these events happen. And we can go, oh, that's harsh. I think the very moment that that happened, I think Zechariah went, it's going to happen. He didn't say it, but he, he knew this angel Gabriel just made it so I can't speak. What he has said is going to happen. I think there was no doubt in his hope at that point. God had declared it. Gabriel had showed him. This is going to happen. I was talking with somebody. I had dinner somebody this week, and we were talking about this story. If you're around me while I'm preparing for a sermon, you'll hear a lot of my sermon in our conversation. It just, it's in my head. It comes out. And we talked about this, and I said, here's, here's what I'm wondering. If God had said, Zach, Elizabeth, congratulations on your wedding. I just want you to know something. You're not going to have any children for a while, for a long time. But here's why. Here's what I'm going to do. You're going to have John, but it's not until you're much older. You guys okay with that? I think they would have gone, oh, yeah, right? Because so often we're like, God, could you just tell me the game plan so I know it? What we're really doing is saying, hey, could you tell me so I can kind of decide if I like that or not? Here's where hope in comes into place. Is God trustworthy? I think he says, no, no, no. Just put your hope in me. Just follow me. Jesus would say, hey, come on. And I think some would say, I don't, I've got a lot to let go of. Let it go. Do you trust me? Is God trustworthy? Because that's when we put our hope in him. I think we start to realize that we can put our hope in God when we realize that this story 
is not about us. This is not our story. This is God's story. And this loving God invites us to be a part of his story. And he says, do you hope in me that I have plans and that they are good? They may be hard, but they are good. And I invite you to be a part of my story? That's when hope switches from what I desire. Because we say, oh God, could you, could you do this in my story? He says, no, come on, be a part of my story. Would you put your hope in me? Jesus said this, uh, I think it was sometime this past summer, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody reminded me just this morning of this passage. I go, we're talking about that today. They went, what? Hope. I think Jesus talks about hope in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31 to 33. This is what he said. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Put your hope in God. Be about his kingdom. Seek righteousness in his kingdom above all else. And know that he knows and he cares and he understands you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. And here's the beautiful thing. We're called to do this together. Okay? This morning you might be sitting here and you go, oh, that sounds good, but I struggle. Yes, yes, we all will struggle. And we do it together because we need each other to walk with us to remind us, to encourage us, to love us, sometimes to be the hands and feet, that when we are in need and we go, finances are really tight, somebody else goes here. That's why we're called to be the body of Christ. Think about John last week. He's in prison alone, right? He wasn't locked up with his disciples. He's there alone. And I'm sure that's part of the reason he asked, are you the one? Ah, man, I'm struggling He sends his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus says, go tell John what you've seen. Go encourage him with these words. These words from Isaiah in the Old Testament say, this is who the Messiah is. This is what's happening. Go tell John that. And I know that they went back and told him, and there was encouragement. There was a lifting of his hope. Why? Because they were doing it together. Where are you at in your hope this morning? Are you hoping for certain things? Or are you hoping in Jesus Christ? Are you hoping in God the Father? That he can do what he says, but you're going to have to let go and truly put your trust and your hope in him. I don't expect anybody to walk out and go, I'm full of hope now. I hope, though, that this passage, these words, start to stir in you this desire to be about the kingdom of God, seeking first his righteousness, knowing that he's writing his story, and you have been invited to be a part of it. It may be a big part, it may be a little part, but God wants to use you, and in it we will find what they found here, joy. It goes against our natural thinking. Are you hoping for or are you hoping in?
Let's pray. Father, you are a trustworthy God. We say that. I pray that you would help our hearts to embrace that more and more and more. Your Holy Spirit would empower us to follow you, Jesus, in everything. To trust you in all of the details. Father, this world is not a place that stirs hope. Father, just this week, as I, as I hear about Ukrainian people, as winter is approaching and they have no electricity, they have no water, Father, help us to realize the blessing we have and be thankful for it. But also, Father, we lift them up even now. Father, I pray for your church there and around the world that we'd be your hands and feet. But Father, in these dark times, I pray that the light of your spirit in your church in that country would shine bright. Father, I think of the Foggerleys, Nathan and Becky Foggerly, in Indonesia, and I know that on the grand scale, there's not the, the massive war going on, but Father, I know that there are skirmishes and tribal battles and rebels and government fighting all over those islands. While I pray for their protection, that you would use them as they fly missionaries around and, and are your hands and feet into remote areas, I pray that the gospel would be penetrating and transforming in that area of the world. Father, in the same way, I pray for our nation. Father, I pray as your church, we would be about your business, your kingdom, in this country that you have put us in, that you have blessed us with. Father, help us to be your mouthpiece in ways that honor and bring glory to you. Father, we, we thank you for Jack, uh, little Jack, Diane Stiebel's grandson, who came home after 27 days in the hospital. Father, we thank you for this little life who has struggled but is so happy. Father, use him for your purposes and your glory. Father, I lift up those here that I know are hurting this morning, and many that I don't know. But I think of uh, the Milfords and the Palas as as we've crossed over another year of Scott Milford's passing. For those that head into the holidays and have lost loved ones, Father, I pray they would sense your presence more than ever. But I pray that they wouldn't be alone, that you would use us to be your hands and feet. And once again, Father, we lift up the search team. Father, I pray against them hoping or us hoping for a new pastor. I pray that in all of this, we would be praying for them. They would be seeking you and we would all be hoping in you, Father God. That you have already gone before us. You know what we need. You know what you desire for your purposes, your kingdom, your glory in this place, in this community. And so, Father, we ask expectantly and, and patiently on you to provide that man for this place. I pray you'd go before all of us in this Advent season and even today be stirring hope in our hearts. Not in ourselves, but 
fully on you, Father God, and you, Jesus, for all that you've done to redeem us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.